Hey, it's Andy. Every teen has their stuff they don't tell their parents about, not because they lack trust, but because they're trying to work it out on their own. As much as we wish we could be their go-to for everything, the truth is we can't always provide the objective guidance they need during these crucial years. That's where our partner, Bonfire Digital Wellness, comes in. Imagine your teen having a compassionate coach with years of experience as a high school counselor checking in weekly to support your teen's social, emotional, and academic growth, from fostering healthy habits to managing screen time and much more. The best part? It's all 100% online. Visit BonfireDW today and take advantage of a one-month free trial. That's BonfireDW.org slash Talking to Teens. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earl. I'm here today with William Sticksrud and Ned Johnson to talk about their new book, What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a happy home. You might remember Bill and Ned from their last appearance on our podcast to talk about their previous book, the bestseller, The Self-Driven Child. Really, really excited to have Bill and Ned back on the show today to talk about their new book. We're going to cover a lot of really interesting and specific situations, including how to talk to your teenager about limiting their time on video games and technology. How Ned had a tricky situation with regard to his son and Fortnite. How Bill helped a principal to motivate a kid who just didn't seem to care. And how one father was able to reconnect with his distant teenage daughter by offering her amnesty. Plus, we're going to look at some ideas for what to say to get your kids talking about parties and alcohol. All of that and more is coming up on today's show. Ned and Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really excited to have both of you back on the show. I feel like I've known you guys for a while now, and uh, it's really cool to see your work evolving and to see you putting out this new book, uh, which is called What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. Thanks for putting out this awesome book. Talk to me about it. Where did this idea come from? Why uh, was this the next book that you needed to write? Well, so often what parents responded to in The Self-Driven Child, our first book, is some of the dialogues in it. And so often when we lecture, people say, well, what, if my kid does this, what should I say? I tell them a million times, but I still can't get through to him. We were talking with our, our agent who, who uh, about a second book, and he said, God, you said, just Self-Driven Child is a great book, but uh, write a book that just has more language for parents. Uh. What, you do, what do you say? To kids, if, 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 you, if you want to try to help them change or try to, try to help them find their motivation or try to help them regulate their sleep or their use of technology or pursue happiness in, in a more sane way, you know, did that. Um, and so that's what we focused on for a year and a half or so and then put together this new book. Ned, what do you want to add, my friend? I think that, you know, they think that pretty much covers it. You know, the, the other thing, though, I would add um, 
in, uh, in the self-driven child, we talk, we principally talked about autonomy, right? And the importance yeah. of autonomy, both from a stress perspective and, and stress tolerance, but also for kids to be intrinsically motivated. But along with that model of self-determination theory, it holds that relatedness is important. And one of the things that occurred to us is that oftentimes there's a bit of a trade-off between autonomy and relatedness. If, if I'm a parent, if I'm trying to get my kid to do something, I may be undermining his autonomy. And he might go along with that because for him to fight me on it means he has to sacrifice his own autonomy to maintain the relationship with me. And both of these things matter. And so one of the reasons that parents will tell a kid a million times, right, or lean on is they're just not being as effective in getting across the advice or the wisdom that they, they, they have to share. And it's not because they're know-it-alls, because they want their kids to have the benefit of their wisdom. And so, so much of this book was, was really not about as much about the what as the how. And knowing that if yeah. we as parents, as educators, are more effective in how we communicate, we can do it in a way that is respectful and, and, and effective, maintains that relationship uh, along the way. So it doesn't have to be a trade-off. Yeah. And I mean, you guys start out the book talking about the importance of connection and starting with a really strong connection. And you guys even have a recipe in here. You know, I didn't think it could be connection could be broken down into a four step system, but it's it it's been done. What how where did you come up with this and how do these how, how do these work? We got to stay calm, understand, reflect and explore. Yeah. 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 You can remember it with the acronym SURE. You can be sure that you can be helpful to the kid. If you, when a kid has a strong emotion, if he screws up something or you're mad at him or he's not being cooperative, if you can stay calm. And, and so important is to try to understand because we, we so often we leap yeah. to judgment. Why'd you do that? As opposed to, you know, help me understand why you did that, that kind of thing. Mm. So it's stay calm seek to, under, to understand that's the you, then reflect. And we, we talk about the, this kind of time-honored skill of reflective or active listening, where we, we kind of, we summarize what a kid is telling us in a, in a way that we try to let them know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention here, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. And then we explore, we, we, we ask questions. That try, when a kid's open to it, we can ask questions to try to understand more. We can keep a conversation going. But this idea that, that so often what kids tell us, Andy, we, we, um, we talked to dozens of teenagers preparing this book. We, we had these little, these little focus groups. And one of the questions we asked them is, who do you feel closest to? And invariably, they said it was somebody who listens to me but doesn't judge me and somebody who doesn't tell me what uh, to do. And so often you know, that we leap to judgment yeah. or we leap to giving advice. And so that, that, that's where that formula comes in in terms of how to be, be really be effective listeners and helpers. And I like it because you reframe um, and get people to start thinking about kids' strong emotions as a positive opportunity to connect. Well, one thought on that is people don't generally share strong emotions, particularly ones that are hard, with perfect strangers, yeah. right? You know, we, we, we tend to share these strong feelings with people who we think can handle them. And so one of the concerns that we have, if we can, if we can hang with kids when their emotions are hard and, and, and by doing so convey to them that we can handle their, their hard emotions, then we're this constant source 
you know, recalibration for them, this, this safe haven where they can go out there and really put themselves out there in, in, the, in, the, in the world and their friendships and school and everything else. Right. And they come back to us when, God, that was a disaster. I can't believe whatever, as opposed to, and as opposed to saying, well, why did you do that? I mean, what, you know, yeah. they very quickly, right. they get the message of, well, I don't want to bring that to my dad. He's going to be just as upset as I am. There's a story in here about your son, Ned, and he's like playing Fortnite and they're trying to figure out how can I kind of get him to regulate his own Fortnite usage. So uh, how did you work through that? I'm glad you asked. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's it's funny when we were giving talks all over the place and all over the country with our first book, you know, we talked for a while and then people ask questions and always the first question was, yeah, but what about technology? Uh, and Bill and I would always look at each other when, when the first question wasn't about technology. Because this really, technology is, is great benefits, but also many ways a real scourge on all of us and not just our kids. And so you really can't have a, a book that, that helps people with communication if it doesn't also help people communicate about their use, their kids' use, you know, sane and, and, and safe uses of technology. So my son was kind enough to offer me a really good opportunity to see whether I could walk the talk, right? So his sophomore year, the game Fortnite came through like a play. And he, like a lot of young men, was just obsessed. And it's a well-designed game. Boy, does it make it addictive. Fun, 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 fun. So here's the opportunity. He had a Friday off from school. On Thursday night, I'm asking, so, so what are you going to do with your day off? And he says, play Fortnite. Oh, oh great. Um, good. Uh, anything else? I, I don't, I'll think about it. Uh, okay. So I come home from, from work on Friday. It's like 5 o'clock at 6 o'clock, whatever. There's my kid, lovely child, but still sitting in front of the computer, still in front of the computer, I should add, still in his pajamas. And I, <laughs> I admit to being a little hot. I was a little like... Really, dude? I mean, is all the things that you didn't clean from whatever, whatever, whatever that, that I might have imagined could have done. And I looked at him and said, can you, can you, can you finish up that game? Fortunately, Fortnite doesn't take that long to win or to lose. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, and can you put your pajamas, can you put your, can you get dressed? Because I, I would like to go out for pizza. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And he's a really easygoing guy. So I calm down. He finishes wins or lose. I don't know. We as a family go off and have pizza together. Awesome. I simmer down. We have a nice dinner. I say nothing more about the Fortnite. Saturday, I say nothing about the Fortnite. Sunday, I say nothing about the Fortnite until five o'clock, which mm. for those of you who have ever been a teenage boy or had a teenage boy, <laughs> the witchy now where he goes, oh, and everything that's due on Monday occurs to him. And then it's six hours to do. You just have four hours to do six hours of homework or whatever. And now he's upset with his decision about his use of his time on Friday. He's like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm such an idiot, right? And if ever there was an opportunity for a parental, I told you so, this was it. But there's this book. And so that felt like, oh, I said, okay, fine. So I <laughs> put on my best bill stick to right? I said, well, um, I said, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry. That sounds really frustrating. I, I know what that space feels like. I said, let me ask a question. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, do you recall how much time you, you kind of spent playing Fortnite? Uh, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 hours. 
Okay. Was it fun? Oh yeah, it was awesome. I won four times. Great. Um, uh, if you reflect on it, how many hours do you think would have been necessary? If it was less to to get your four name fix in. I don't know four yeah. or five. Okay. One more question. Would it help you? Because it sounds like you're pretty frustrated that you kind of went off the rails a little bit. Would it help you if your mom or I kind of helped you manage your use of technology? Yeah, that I, I, I think that would be helpful. Now I have buy-in, right? And yeah. I mean, Bill and I feel very strongly that it's not our, and it's a fool's errand really, but it's for us to try to manage our kids' use of technology, especially once they're teens, but rather to help them learn to manage their own use of technology. Because as we talked about, my kid at that point was a couple years off from going off to some college somewhere with you know, suitcase full of my money and no parental oversight, right? And so I really, my right. wife and I wanted him to struggle with this. And he, it wasn't easy and it wasn't free of messes. And even now he's still trying to, to figure that out. But to be honest, I'm 51. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, occasions I have, who, who, who is it? Um, so we want okay. we just want to position ourselves so we're working with our kids, not on them, because we need mm. them to, to, to learn these skills and how to manage their own lives rather than us manage them for them. Yeah. And I think I like that we skip the failure. You know, we need to kind of you or did such a good job of like letting him fail. You know, I like the way you tell the story because it's not easy to do that. And as a parent, it's really tough to just kind of sit back and like, oh, like, really, you're just going to do that all day. But yeah, um, my, my wife's consistent line and it's completely honest and heartfelt. She said, it just kills me to watch him waste so much time. Yeah, right. And, and that's real, you know, but I also, you know, once in a while, just gently remind her, you don't have to yeah. watch it all the time, right? <laughs> just don't, you know, because, you know, because it's hard to bite your lip, right? It's hard yeah. to sit on your hands. But if you jump in all the time, then he's not responding to the natural consequences of his choices. He's responding to you, right? And now you're just yeah. as a voice of wisdom. You're just the scold who's like, oh, well, stop it, mom. And it's frustrating for her. So just, you know, he is who he is. And he's right. he's growing up every day. But if it's too hard to watch, just walk away. Because it's probably going to be a mess whether you're a spectator or not. You talked earlier about how important it is for our kids to know that we can handle it, that they can, you know, express their emotions and we're not going to freak out. We're going to be okay. And it's kind of the opposite of what you talk about, you know, how sometimes we kind of communicate anxiety to our kids. And um, I really like how you point out that there, there are these kind of distorted ways of thinking that we use sometimes without realizing it, that we sort of communicate to our kids. And you talk about some catastrophizing, shooting, fortune telling, like, how do we sometimes, um, without realizing what we're doing, like communicate these faulty ways of thinking to our teens? You know, we just uh, we just wrote a piece, um, and the title is "Be Very Afraid." Mm. And we, we, you know, we 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 traveled around the country talking about our, the self-driven child for a lot until COVID. And every place we went, but mainly what people talked about 
was how stressed and anxious their kids were. Mm. I went to Seattle and they're talking about the second grade kids who were in school refusal. Ned and I went to Dallas. We were talking in an elite school and the counselors were saying, school counselors were saying the fifth grade boys were having panic attacks due to the pressure of middle school. And it just seemed to us, Andy, that the kids, that they must be getting the message that they need to be very afraid. Yeah, Given right. this level of stress and anxiety. And it's not that this, we as parents, we aren't the only ones who communicate. The whole, right. whole environment does it. Their yeah, peers in their yeah. school. Uh, you know, our first book is about a sense of control and the wisdom of focusing on what we can control. You know, simply, we, we can control part of what we do. And so we talk about things that we do that can make kids more anxious. And then but what we can do to make them less anxious. And what you're referring to is cognitive therapy. Cognitive therapy developed uh, the realization that so many of our problems are that we're telling ourselves stuff that doesn't make sense. If you don't do, do better in this next time, you'll never be able to, that, that's a fortune telling error. You know, the shooting on yourself, oh God, I should have done better. Well, where's, where's the evidence? Where is it written that you should have done better than you did? And the catastrophizing, I mean, we, we all <laughs> tend to catastrophize a lot. And, and certainly being mindful of the ways in which we distort reality that makes us more anxious, that makes our kids more anxious, is simply one way that we've found. We can help give our kids the message. I mean, ideally, we're giving kids the message that this world is a pretty safe place. Yeah, Even with COVID, right. I mean, most people, most people haven't died, and, and we're probably living in the safest time and place in human history. And we've got to get the message that most people in this world do fine. They, they make it through school. They, they, they find a way to make a living. They, they get married, whatever they, whatever they do. Yeah. And many kids grew up thinking that the path to being a successful adult is extremely narrow. And if they ever fall off it, they're screwed. And this is part of what we're trying to correct, this very narrow idea that to have a really meaningful life, a life that you enjoy, you have to be very anxious and on guard and driven and, and never give up. Because that's the path to burnout, not to success. And I'd add to that, you know, if you fail this, you're never going to be successful, you know, to catastrophe, I mean, all these kind of things. In many ways, it's encouraging kids to look for the problems, to look for the all the ways this can go mm, badly, right? Yeah. Rather than how do you correct this? How do you make this go better? I was talking with my daughter the other day. She's learning to drive. And making the point that, you know, if you're, if you're driving, right, and you're heading, you know, on a tight curve towards the Jersey wall, you don't want to look right at the wall. You really want to look towards where you want the car to go. Yeah. And, she, and, she, and she did a lot of horseback riding. She's like, oh, my gosh, that's just what our instructors told us. Because if you look at the wall, then, the, then your shoulders go and the horse goes, all right. <laughs> right. Where if you look where you go, it turns all of your attention and all the energy. Mm. Right. And so... Do we have problems in life? Do we fail quizzes and make mistakes? Of course we do, right? But we can help our we can we can help our kids turn their attention towards how do I get out of here? If yeah. we turn our attention to, well, this is a challenge, but not this leads right into the ditch of, of destruction, but rather right. how do we turn it towards a place that gets us back on back on, on firmer ground? But it's kind of like isn't that your duty as a parent to see all the things that could go wrong and all the problems coming um, and just protest, say, hey, wait a minute. No, I, I think it's fine. I mean, certainly part of what we can give our kids is our experience, is the benefit of our experience. Yeah, yeah. And if, if there's roadblocks up ahead and there's dangers up ahead, we, we can let them know. But so much of, of what's happening in the work on helping kids is giving the message, I'm 100% confident you can handle the situation. Mm. You can handle your own emotions. 
Yeah. Uh, there's a, we, we talk in the book about a new program out of Yale. The acronym is SPACE, and it stands for Supportive Parenting of Anxious Childhood Emotions. And, and the idea, it just works with parents. And it's as effective as it treating anxiety in children and teenagers as cognitive behavioral therapy is um, in working with the kids. Wow. And, and what, what it asks parents to do is to stop accommodating what, what they do to help the kid be less anxious. And say, I'm not, I'm not, I used to think that you needed me to uh, walk you to the bus every day or wait till the bus comes or, 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 or walk, walk you to, to school because you're anxious. I used to think that you couldn't handle your anxiety. And now I realize I was wrong and I'm 100% confident that you can. I understand why I understand you're anxious. I get that. And you aren't making it up. I get that. We, 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 we express empathy. But we also say, I'm 100% confident you can handle it. So it's not that we can't say, well, you know, watch out here, this or this. Yeah. Uh, but we also, yeah. we, want to, we also want to be given the message that, that you can handle it, that anxiety is not something to be afraid of. You can handle your feelings, and I can handle your feelings. Also, um, when you're talking about the space program, uh, I had written this down, too, because I thought it was really interesting. You talk about how parents use strategies uh, called active participation and modification to kind of help kids calm down or prevent them from even ever having to, like, get upset in the first place. And that sort of ties back to what we were talking about earlier, too, with the Fortnite and allowing allowing kids to fail a little bit. Yeah. You know, it, with the subtitle of the book of, of building motivation, but also stress tolerance, we thought for a while about, about using the term resilience, but, but in some ways it's been in, you know, 14,000 heritage books. And I kind of feel like the meaning of it may be bent out of shape a little bit. Yeah. But technically resilience is nothing more than the ability to return to a previous state, right? So I'm fine. I get upset. How well or how quickly do I return to, you know, being, being okay? And that's what, that's, you know, that's a, you know, really good marker of mental health. And so what we're really talking about is our kids learning to have tolerance for stress, not that we want their lives to be stressful all the time, but we naturally will experience stress when we, when we stretch ourselves, when we try things that are challenging, when we, we, we get beat up a little bit, and that's part of life. Yeah. And in order to develop stress tolerance, you have to tolerate stress. <laughs> and what we want, what we want is for kids to have the sense that I can handle this. No, not I can handle this because mommy's holding my hand. I can handle this because dad's with me. And obviously when they're little, you know, when they're, when they're one, two, three, four, five, we're co-regulating with them. But as they get older and older and older, we don't want to be their walking, talking, you know, security blanket so that they can handle these things when they're, when they're with us. And so what happens with accommodating, you know, if you think about having a, a two or three or, you know, baby who's, who's upset, ooh, we rub their backs and they're there, there, and we soothe them. But we can get into the process of pattern where we, we reassure them constantly, opposed to their having thoughts with which they can reassure themselves. Yeah. Or we make all these accommodations where they don't like this, they don't, there's a, there's a Kate Julian has this beautiful story in the Atlantic from, I guess, a, a year ago now, um, where it talks about a family where a kid was really picky with eating, and they okay. accommodated him by basically only feeding what he wanted to. And they right. had like 1,100 meals or 11,000, whatever it was, of turkey loaf. Because that was the only thing, you know, and on any given breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it just wasn't worth fighting with him about yeah, turkey. Right. 
there the whole system had worked around to support his you know his consumption of turkey loaf where you know you could say look i know you don't love macaroni and cheese but that's what we're having for dinner that's and I what we to, got yeah <laughs> but I, I know you might not love love it but but i i know you're strong enough to handle macaroni and cheese We're here with William Sticksrude and Ned Johnson talking about exactly what to say to difficult teenagers in all kinds of different situations. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. There's nothing better for a young brain than working hard to get better and better and better at something that they're interested yeah. in, that they care about, and then sleeping so that the brain solders in. Uh, what they learn from the experience. There's nothing better. That makes the point that anything that's worth doing well is worth doing poorly first. The best message you can give your high school kid or give a teenager in general, uh, besides I love you, is, is I have confidence in your ability to, to, to make decisions about your own life and to learn from your mistakes. And I was talking with one of my childhood friends who has four kids, and, and the, the youngest daughter was just a pain in the ass for, for all through high school. It was just all through high school. They were just constantly you know, testing limits, breaking boundaries, breaking yeah. rules, lying to her parents. He said, we just had a terrible relationship. There's just a complete lack of trust. We were trying to clamp down on her, and, and she'd find a way to, to, to sneak out or, or whatever. Told me the story that one night in her senior year of high school, the mother was out of state doing something. And my, my, my friend had, had a church meeting. And so he gets a call while he's at the meeting from a neighbor who says, you know, there's 20 kids, your, your daughter and 20 of her friends are at your house. They're all drinking. And so when the meeting's over, he comes home and, and the kids must have gotten wind of it because they, they'd all cleared out they cleared uh. up the place. And he confronts his daughter and she says, there's no part. Are you saying that John across the street lied? Yeah, he must have because there are no kids here. So my friend calls the neighbor again, and the neighbor's wife is a therapist. And he says, what should I do? We've taken away everything kind of idea. Yeah. He says, offer her amnesty. Tell her that whatever she did, it's like it never happened. And so my friend goes to her daughter and says that if I was talking to my parents and lying just straight to their face, that I'd probably feel guilty at some level. So I imagine that you're feeling a little guilty and I'm not going to pile on. So I'm just going to want you to know that whatever, whatever happened tonight, you, you have amnesty. It's like it never happened. And he went to bed. And later that night, she came and knocked on his door and came to the bedroom and said, I had a party and I, really, I feel really terrible about lying to you. And he said that the temperature in their house increased by 30 degrees. I mean, it, it was that, that cold tension, you know, can't stand to be just uh, the warmth of their relationship. So it is completely game, a game-changing thing. Mm. Not, not to do the knee-jerk, we're going to punish you for this. And what he said later, what he told me later was that, I, wouldn't, I, I don't want to drink, drinking's not good for the teenage brain. Right. But, you know, I, I went to parties and drank it sometimes. It, it, I wasn't so concerned about that. I was concerned about just the terrible relationship. Yeah. And he pri right. prior, by prioritizing the relationship, it was a complete game changer. He said that we started to communicate more openly, started to be, have, actually have fun together, started to trust each other more. And her parole officer said she's doing really good. No, I, I, I hate that. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, time honored lie. But, but uh, no, but she's, she, they have a very close relationship now. And it's just, it was just, one of those times where we just change the energy. 
We change the energy where we would focus on love and relationship and not think that we have to reflexively punish or set limits or, or, or um, do something that, that really isn't very effectual. I mean, most punishment is a very ineffective parenting tool and it usually harms the relationship. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.